Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. Amen. What a privilege, what an honour to speak in a house, a church which has such outstanding preaching and ministry. Um, And I just want to honour the guys who preach here every week. Um, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of preachers in my 40 plus years of being a Christian. And I can tell you they're not all equally good. Okay? There's some people who I would wait up a long time to hear speak. I would queue up at a door to hear speak, and some of them are here. I, I really think we ought to applaud our preachers in the house. Can we do that? I loved it when Joe spoke about some of the principles. Um, I think it was last week when we had some testimony and some of the things that he was noting for us. I think he had six points or something like that. Get hold of that talk if you haven't heard him. One of the things was the culture of honour. And I really believe that you model that in this church and that we model this. And one of the scriptures that came out in the prayer meeting. By the way, there's a prayer meeting before the meeting. I'm telling you, it was, I was in heaven. I was in heaven at the prayer meeting. And one of the scriptures came out, the first commandment with the blessing. Loving uh, your mother and father. And honouring your mother and father that your days might be long in the land. The first commandment with a blessing. And one of the things is honouring our parents, our spiritual parents, our people who have led us to the Lord, people who preach and give example. If we honour those people, that is with a blessing from the Lord. So as, as Joe was saying, I'm a big I'm very passionate about prayer. You know, it's, it's our oxygen. And uh, we've been hearing so much about prayer at the conference in these last few weeks. How many people are passionate about prayer? How many people would like to learn more about prayer? Jesus' disciples said, teach us how to pray. And one of the things I think we can do when we're thinking about Mothering Sunday you know, we're all part of a family. We're not all mothers, but we're all part of a family. And we all have mothers. And we have various different um, sort of experiences of that, okay? Mothers are not perfect. Even good mothers are not perfect. But God, our Heavenly Father, is perfect. Do you know there's 19.3 million families in the UK? And I loved it when Karen, Miss Karen, was here and she was praying over... She was turning to these high rise and she was praying over some of the families that just live. And do you know what? We're not going to have room in this church. This, this church is significantly growing. And Joe was right when he was just speaking to us about that. In, in a, I've been having this scripture um, from Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 54, which says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out to the right and to the left. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, says the Lord, because you're going to grow. And in one of the translations, it says, we need more elbow room. Okay, just stick your elbows out right now and you can feel how tight it is. And do you, know, do you know what the thing is? We are going to grow. It's not, um, it's not optional. Do you know, if we're teaching one another to reach our friends for Christ, to pray for people, to pray for our families, we are going to grow. God is going to be answering those prayers. And we haven't got enough elbow room right now. So we've got to prepare right now in prayer. God is taking us to a new premises. Oh, he's going to reconfigure this premises, but something's going to happen. We're going to grow. So I want to speak a little bit about prayer. Because prayer is 
something that I've been learning about since I first became a Christian around about 1980. I've been praying for a while, still learning about prayer. And one of the key scriptures, one of the things that I'd like to say is the best thing that you can do for your family, your friend, your sister, your brother, your colleague who doesn't know the Lord is pray for them. That is the very best thing that you can do. It's more loving and kind than any other activity, is prayer. But one of the things I want to talk about is what the Bible, um, well, what the Bible would, what we would describe from Scripture as the prayer of agreement. Can everyone say the prayer of agreement? So that's what I'd like to speak about. And there's a key Scripture... Hopefully it's going to come on the screen. And it's math, it's, it's all the way through the Bible, the prayer of agreement. But it's, um, it's particularly spoken here in Matthew 18 and verse 19, re- reading from the New Kings James Version. Jesus is the one who told us, if two of you agree on concerning anything that they ask, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Agreement, the prayer of agreement. We are not isolated Christians. We are not here in a vacuum, just on our own, just trying to pray, just trying to discern the will of God, just trying to grow in our faith. We are part of the body of Christ. God has deliberately put us in the church In whichever church you belong to, if you belong here, you are with other Christians and you have the power of the prayer of agreement available to you. So I want to talk two experiences from my life where I have learned the prayer of agreement and just personal family things that I think may be helpful to some people here listening to this message today. So... I was not brought up in a Christian home, and I just want to tell you a little bit about how I became a Christian and how I learned this principle of prayer and prayer of agreement. So I was not brought up in a Christian home. I was living a very worldly life. Um, I was going out with Frank, who is now my husband. We are both unbelievers. We were both living in the world, of the world, nothing uh, godly about us. But when we decided to get married, we decided and we chose to get married in the church. Maybe it was for sentimental value. I wanted to wear a white dress, which I really didn't have the rights to be wearing because of the lifestyle that I've been living. I've given quite a lot of information away there. (laughs) And I, um, but a little bit sentimental, get married in the church, it was what you did. Especially back then, because I'm quite old. People don't always want to get married in church. But, you know, it was a nice thing to do, to get married in church. And maybe because I'd been to Sunday school as a child, and Frank had as well, we thought, well, you know what? Let's get married in a church. So we didn't really know what to do. The minister completely missed an opportunity, by the way. He didn't make us go on any Christianity uh, discovery courses. There was no such thing as Alpha, but he didn't get us in for pre-marriage classes or anything like that. He just agreed to marry us. He missed the opportunity completely. And we're in the service, and there weren't huge numbers there because... We're not churchgoers, you know, so there's just our close family and friends in the service. And standing at the altar, and we're singing the um, what 23rd Psalm, The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. And as we're singing this, and got about halfway through, all of a sudden, there was a presence. Um, what I now know to be the Holy Spirit. But God himself turned up to two secular, worldly, non-Christian, unbelieving people. We're standing at the altar. And there's a presence came, so much so, it nearly knocked me off my feet. And it wasn't Frank. <laughs> it, nearly, <laughs> it nearly knocked me off my feet. And I slightly started to tremor. 
And I'm looking round to see where is this presence coming from? The, the service finished and I got in the car. And um, I was quite, quite intrigued to discover whether it was just me experiencing this presence, which I know is a spiritual presence, which was actually God himself, you know, being the good shepherd and wanting to be the good shepherd in my life and wanting to lead me and guide me in paths of righteousness, showing up, or whether Frank had experienced it as well. So I kind of tentatively asked him in the car on the way to the reception. And he said, yeah, it was like a God showed up thing. <laughs> kind of, we don't know what God is, but it, it felt a bit like God. So he'd experienced it as well. So it started me on a journey and it's actually why, you know, quite controversially maybe, I will, I have married a lot of unchurched people. So is Frank. Because we, we kind of want, we do do the classes though. Because <laughs> we kind of want that opportunity to, for God's, because it is a spiritual ceremony. There's an opportunity to get people into church and to get people to start thinking about Christian faith. So it starts me on a journey, and around that time, we were a newly married couple, and um, we were living in a flat in Bury, over the other side of Manchester. And things weren't really working out, so we moved in with my parents in Altrincham, just for a short time. We moved in, anybody else had that experience? No, don't give me away. We moved in with my parents in Altrincham, and I'm on this journey, but I'm not really knowing what to do, where to go, what to, where to look. All of a sudden, it's a Sunday, and my dad randomly gets up, gets dressed, puts a suit on. He never wore a suit on a Sunday, and he decides to get in his car to go out to look for a church. He hadn't been to church for over 25 years, but he, something in his life was empty right at that point. Something he'd realized, um, he'd been a Christian as a young man, had fallen away from the Lord. He'd gone after wealth. He was a very wealthy businessman. He'd sort of thought, you know, it's either God or mammon. And he'd gone after mammon. And his life then had become empty. And this one morning, he had this prompting to go out and find a church. Got in his car and just drove around until he found a church. Came back to the house... And he was totally transformed. His face was shining. My mum quickly gave her heart to the Lord. And then you've got myself and Frank living with parents who are now bonkers for Jesus. I was really, really interesting. So the following week, I go with my, my dad and my mum to the Church of the Nazarene in Brooklands. And it was a tiny little church. They hadn't had any new converts for 20 years. And now they've got like two new converts and two more. And, and then I'm there as well waiting to hear what the pastor has to say. And a guy called Mike Tewksbury, quite a small church. A guy called, called Mike Tewksbury is preaching, the pastor. And I'm listening and I'm on the edge of my seat. And he's giving this appeal because he's got quite, you know, a lot of faith now, because he's got two new converts that have arisen. I need to find a few more. You know, we're on a roll here. And so he's, he's, he's actually giving the appeal, and it wasn't a fluffy appeal. It wasn't like, give your life to Jesus, and everything now is going to be okay henceforth. But if you've ever responded to that kind of message, it's not true. You know, in this life, we will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome, says Jesus. Christian life is not easy. He preached this full-on radical uh, message and appeal. You know, if anyone wants to follow me, says Jesus, let them deny themselves daily and take up their cross and follow me. Or whoever wants to follow me, you have to leave your mother, your father, your husband, your sister, your brother. Jesus has to be first in your life, says the preacher, and I'm up to the front. Holy Spirit has already prepared the way. And I gave my life to Jesus. And there was a little booklet that you were given at the, in, the, in those days. Some of you might remember it was called Journey into Life. <laughs> Sue and Graham know what I'm talking about here. Journey into Life. A little tract. And it told you how to become a Christian 
And it had a prayer at the end, which we sometimes call the sinner's prayer. You know, it's showing you, it's helping you, it's giving you a form of words if you don't know how to express that prayer to how to give your life to Jesus. So I've got this tract in my hand and I'm full of joy and peace and my life has been totally transformed by the act of giving myself to Christ. It's exactly what I'd been searching for. And I go home, but now I've got a problem. Okay, I'm now married to an unbeliever. And, you know, the Bible sometimes calls that unequally yoked. You've got a clash of kingdoms going on. One of you is a Christian, the other one is not Christian. He's, 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 he's <laughs> it was quite funny because it was kind of three against one because it's my mum, my dad and me and now him on his own. So he's a little bit outnumbered. But you've got this battle and clash of cultures that happens when you're with unbelieving people. Some of you have probably experienced that. And you have to turn to God in prayer. So we get ready that night for bed. I've just become a Christian that day. Frank's sitting in bed waiting for his new wife to, to get in bed with him. And um, I, I decide I've got this tract in my hand. I go to the foot of the bed. I kneel down and I pray out loud the sinner's prayer. I'm just going to read it to you, the prayer that I prayed. The sinner's prayer. If I can find it. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I accept your death as the penalty for my sin. Cleanse me and make me your child. By faith, I receive you into my heart as my saviour and the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may want to pray that prayer. Just listen to the message again and pray that prayer with me if you're here today. I prayed that prayer out loud with Frank sitting in the bed. The following night, we go to bed. I do the same thing. I'm kneeling down at the foot of the bed, praying that prayer out loud. I think I did it about five nights in a row. All of a sudden, Frank said to me at the end of this prayer on the fifth night, he said, Deborah, God is not deaf. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he has heard that prayer and you are now saved. Stop praying the same prayer over and over again. Now, whether I kind of subtly wanted to influence him, you know, because I've become a bit of an evangelist by this point, telling everybody about Jesus. And I'm thinking, if I keep praying this prayer, maybe he's going to pray the prayer. You know, hinting in the direction of the Holy, what the Holy Spirit wants to do personally, I don't know. But he was actually speaking to me about the assurance of my salvation before he was even saved. He kind of understood the theology better than I did. You know, if you prayed that prayer once, I'm pretty sure you're a Christian by now. But I'm learning about prayer. And I'm trying to find a way of influencing my husband. And you know, I tried everything. I tried talking to him in the car about Jesus. And one day he said to me, Deborah, if you keep talking about Jesus, I'm going to stop this car. You can get out and that's going to be it. And I, a, few minutes, a few seconds later, I couldn't help myself. I tried to tell him another story about Jesus that I'd heard in church that day. He stopped the car. He made me get out and he drove off. And I, do you know, I thought that's what the preacher was preaching about when he said, you know, if anyone wants to follow me, Jesus said, you have to leave your father, your mother, your husband, because this is, you take things so literally when you're first a Christian. And I thought, I've lost my, I'm going to lose my marriage. Anyway, he came back about 10 minutes later and he picked me up. <laughs> Do you know what afterwards Frank said to me? He said, it was like you had another man. He was jealous. 
because this other man, Jesus, was more important to me than him. For the first time, you know, we'd been together for seven years. We were going out with each other for seven years before we got married. And the first time in his life, he feels jealous. So what do I do? I, thought, I said to Jesus, if you can save my husband, it's absolutely impossible in my view that this could happen. I said, I will believe you for anything. Everything will be possible after this. But I'm praying this prayer and battling this battle on my own. And that's when the Holy Spirit started to teach me about the prayer of agreement. So I went to my church and I shared with a few people, this is my situation. Please, can you stand with me in prayer? Does anybody need this right now? Please, can you stand with me in prayer to see my unbelieving husband? Because the conflict in our marriage is just going to be too much if this doesn't happen. I need a miracle. I need a breakthrough. Started praying the prayer of agreement. My pastor was praying. My mum and dad were praying. One day, three months later, the pastor came round to my parents' house. He was on his bike. I can remember the scene, picture the scene. He had his bicycle clips round his ankles. He got off his bike. Didn't look trendy at all. He wasn't a trendy bike cyclist or anything like that. It was a really traditional type of pastor. He got off his bike, he came in the house, and we were all sitting in the lounge and doing what you already always do when the pastor comes around, you have a cup of tea. And we brought the tea in, and there was the four of us in there and the pastor. And one by one, we got up and we left the room and went into the kitchen. First me, then my mum, then my dad. And we left Frank on his own with the pastor. <laughs> it's great revenge. We left Frank on his own with the pastor and we're in the kitchen praying the prayer of agreement. Lord, please, Lord, do something in his life. You've got to break through here. The three of us are praying. One hour later, Frank came through to the kitchen and he said, Deborah, I just want you to know I've just given my life to Jesus Christ. And we all just started to cry and now reflecting on this, you know, amazing thing that God has now done. The prayer of agreement has brought him into faith, the thing that I thought it was impossible. If you have someone in your life, a partner, a friend, a sister, a brother, a parent, do you know what? Jesus Christ wants to call us into the prayer of agreement for their life, for their salvation. If you have a difficult, impossible situation in your life, the prayer of agreement. You know, it talks in the Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 4, it talks about the believer's prayer when Peter and John are released from prison. It talks about them all raising their voices together out loud at once. They're practicing the prayer of agreement. There's a, there's a corporate prayer happening here. And, and in the Greek, the word agree is sum neophonio. Sum phonio. Symphony. In the Greek, it's the word agree. It adds weight to um, our prayers. And I just wondered if Pastor Joe would just come forward now because I'd like to conduct a little experiment. Can you hold this paper with two hands? And does anybody, was anybody at the conference? Did you see James Ladderin preaching? And don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to make you stand there as long as he did while he preaches three or four messages and the person's still waiting there with her answer. But can you imagine that, that our prayers are trying to break through the heavenlies? That's what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, the God of this age has blinded people's minds to the gospel and they cannot hear it. Prayer breaks through and pierces through the heavenlies. 
And he got a pen, didn't he? And he, he said, keep praying. And as you keep praying, you're going to break in. And the, the piece of paper is ripped in two. So I want two people to come now who've got a pen in their hand. Josh, I can see you with a pen. And Cameron. Right, two people. Have you got a pen? Yep, a pen. Right, you are Pastor Joe. Pastor Joe has a prayer need in his life. He is praying for... (laughs) He's a lot of praise. This this better be good. He has a family member away from the Lord. He has different things that he's fighting for for this church here. He has prayers that he's praying privately before God. He may have shared them with others. He may not. But this time now, Josh and Cameron are going to come with a pen. And you're going to pray and break through into that. Just give it one big, yeah, Josh. Right, another one. Hey! Hey! (laughs) Let's give them a round of applause. So, can you understand what I'm saying? So our personal, private prayers are powerful. Powerful. But what the devil tries to do is isolate us, even in our prayer life. And he, he tries to say to me what he was saying to me, you know, you, can you really believe that your husband's going to be saved? It's just not likely. It's not really possible. And he isolates us to that point that we can't really see that breakthrough, how that breakthrough is going to happen. But through the two prayers together, the two who agree about anything on earth, and we know it's God's will. And someone might say, how do you know you're praying in the will of God? Okay? Because he is not willing that anyone should perish. So I don't even have to pray, is this God's will? On 100% we know this is God's will. So if you are praying for an unbelieving partner right now, it is God's will that they might be saved. But don't be isolated in your prayers. So I I want to give you three reasons why, at least three reasons why the prayer of agreement is powerful. Number one, it is modeled in the Godhead. God the Father. God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, three in one. Perfect unity, symphony, harmony. Not one of them doing anything that the other is not doing. Jesus said, I do nothing except what the Father is doing. How does he know what the Father is doing? Because he's spending time in communion with the Father in prayer. He's modeled in the Godhead. He models to us the power of community, the power of Trinity, two or three together, working together in harmony. The second reason that the prayer of agreement is something we should adopt is that there's a pastoral reason for it. Because I am trying to carry a burden on my own when God has put me in community. And as I share that need, whether that's health, finance, moving house, job, or praying for an unbelieving person in your family, as I share that need, I make myself accountable to other people. It could be that they can help me to um, shape that prayer a little bit better. But the best of all, when that prayer is answered... There's a rejoicing in the community within the two or three. Now, I'm not advocating that we should share private things with big groups of people. No, just two or three. People who you respect, people who you trust. Will you stand with me with this until this happens? I mean, I love that acronym PUSH. Pray until something happens. Will you stand with me 
until this happens. Some of you may wait a lot more than three months, as I did for Frank. Some of you may be waiting in a prolonged period of waiting, a real intense battle situation. Don't be isolated. Pastorally, you need. And the third reason why we should do it is because Satan hates the prayer of unity. He hates the prayer of agreement because he wants us to feel isolated. He wants us to feel discouraged. He wants us to think that we've lost. Because we actually sometimes can't break through on our own. We need someone else to come into that situation and uh, fight for us here. So the prayer of agreement... Find within your communities, your small groups here, or even if you're not in a small group, find two, one or two or three others who can pray with you about a difficult situation. One time I might come and if Joe, Pastor Joe and Stacey invite me to come again, I want to come and speak to you about how it moves communities, as in the communities out there. You know, there's some great stories I can tell you about how the prayer agreement, but for today, it's just about the families. So important. So I want to share, just to finish with, another story about how the prayer of agreement um, is is at work in my life and has been at work in the life of our family. Because as you grow in Christianity, you see that prayer really does change things. It changes the spiritual atmosphere in a person's home. You know, I've been round, um, I don't even know if some of my kids know this or uh, people know this, but I've been round my house and anointed it with oil. I've anointed people's clothing with oil, trying not to leave a stain on there. I have actually put scriptures under people's beds. I've actually put scriptures in their wardrobes. I've taken authority over things that are going on in the house. Because there's a spiritual realm. And although God wants all people to be saved, Satan doesn't. So I've had to do some really wacky things led by the Holy Spirit to do. And just do those things if he shows you how. Try to leave the dignity of the person intact. I don't think it's good to always be... Uh, overly uh, trying to challenge a person without the love in place. Have you earned the right to speak into their life? If you haven't, shut up. You know, leave it to someone else. You need the right to speak into somebody's life. Do you really love that person or is this judgmentalism in disguise? The worst thing in the church, in my opinion, is judgmentalism. And I know hundreds of people who are not in church right now because of it. Where they've heard one message and seen a different message displayed. I, I, I could give you a hundred stories on judgmentalism. Let's not go there. Love people. If you've loved that person, if you've prayed, you've fasted, and you've done your very best for them, then... Come with that opportunity. Let the Lord give you the graceful words to say, but don't come in judgment. So finishing off with this story then, um, is I'm going to embarrass my uh, son. I've got four children, two daughters, two sons, and Josh is in the house. So he has given me permission to share this story, by the way. Parents shouldn't be always using their children as, spir- as sermon illustrations. You know, it's a big temptation, but there's a photograph that will come up on the screen. That is Josh, by the way. <laughs> Look at that hair. This was gelled, wasn't it? Well gelled. Um, okay, so this is Josh around the age of about 17, 18 years old with a younger me and my eldest daughter, Sarah. And this is the prayer of agreement, okay? This is the prayer of agreement that we have to pray for our sons and daughters. And I know many of you have sons and daughters who may be prodigals or maybe just have never given their life to Jesus. Then this is a really important uh, story that I want to tell you that I believe he's going to use 
to help change our lives and our stance in prayer. So we were pastors, as Joe said, in the city leading a church called Ivy. Um, and um, we had, you know, our example as pastors, you know, to bring up your children in the way of the Lord. Yeah? He decided to start to... He... <laughs> He's on that second row. <laughs> he decided to walk in a different direction. Sometimes that happens. And it doesn't necessarily mean you haven't been praying because we're praying our socks off. But, you know, things of this world are pretty attractive to young people. We had that in the prayer meeting earlier. The things of this world do look pretty good. They're not. They're quite shallow, but they appear to be great. And they're a big enticement away from the things of God. If they weren't, then we didn't have to worry about it, you know. So he goes off and he starts to hang around in the wrong crowd, people who were not a good influence on him. He's drinking. I think I found out that he was experimenting with drugs. I kind of like to put my fingers in my ear when I heard that one because it upset me so much. Um, and he drops out of school and he starts working in a call centre, and me and Frank are like, this is not God's will for our child. This is him really going right out of God. He, his personality changed. He wasn't the same boy. He was angry. He was moody. Didn't, he was always very affectionate towards us. Wasn't affectionate anymore. He just had a personality change. The devil had just moved right in and tried to really destroy his life. And one day, the police came to our house to arrest our son, Josh. Now, it's, double, it's a double whammy, this, because I am the director of Redeeming Our Communities. It's a national initiative, and we work with the police to reduce crime. Now, I've got Sir Peter Farhi on my board, the former Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police. And here's the police arriving at our door to arrest our son. And it wasn't to do with redeeming our communities. They're actually coming to arrest him because he'd done something wrong and he'd been caught. And I had a battle with the devil on this, the devil himself, because... He was coming into my camp and saying, do you really think you are redeeming communities right now? Do you really think you're reducing crime? And you've got your own child who's now involved. You know, it started to question the anointing and calling on my life. Watch out when Satan does that. You know, he can, he, it doesn't matter if you're having a bad day. But when he starts to question your identity or the calling that's on your life. Because what does he want to do? He wants to steal, kill and destroy your identity and your calling. And if that child of yours has got a calling, which they all have, whatever that calling might be, the enemy will want to try and take them off into a big distraction that takes them out of the calling that is on their life. So it's more strategic than we think. There's a reason behind it. So my daughter, I'm, so I'm, on, I'm, the, I'm on the floor crying and weeping, and some of it was self-pity, you know, and I, I wasn't really in a very good place. And my daughter, Sarah, came round, and she walked into the house and she said to me, Mom, why aren't you praying? And I'm like, you cheeky madam, <laughs> telling your mother about prayer. I've written two books on prayer. <laughs> why aren't you praying? So she's actually quoting back to me what I have quoted to her. God can use different people, it doesn't, you know, anybody around that time. She believed that we could go into battle and she grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and she took me and we went into a room in our house where I used to pray and she said, we're going to worship, 
Worship is a weapon, Emma. You know this. We're going to worship and pray until something changes. We are not being defeated in this, Mum. So we start to worship, and she was singing these songs, and we're really going into the heavenlies. And then she said, right, Mum, what are the scriptures that you've had over Josh's life when he was born, when he was dedicated in Altering and Baptist Church? Justin Dennison prayed over him. What, what did he say? Get your journal out. Get your prayer diaries out, Mum. Get them downstairs. Now, some of you are coming with me on this now because you have got it in your journal, what you are praying for, for your child or for someone else's child. Scripture. What scriptures have we had over his life? I said, hang on a minute. He's an evangelist. God always told us he was going to be an evangelist. We know that he led people to Jesus when he was a little boy. And something began to change through worship prayer, pressing in, praying. And eventually it got from, to the point where I went from the pity party to authority in Christ to walk into the enemy camp and say out loud, you are not having my son. You are not having him. Right now in the name of Jesus, you are not having my son and Sarah praying the prayer of agreement with me. It's not going to happen. So this finished. And how many of us know when we've been in intense spiritual battle like that, we don't always see the answer immediately, but you believe by faith that God has been at work in that situation. He's locked up for the whole weekend from being arrested on the Friday to the Monday. Frank goes down to the court. Uh, he's then released and given a conditional discharge and has to wear one of those um, tags on his ankle, which basically means you're grounded, which I thought was quite a funny thing and quite a good thing in a way. So when a parent says, right, you're grounded, he actually was grounded <laughs> by this electronic tag on his ankle. And his dad brought him home. It was a conditional discharge because it was his first offence. His dad brought him home. He just, by the way, he'd done some criminal damage in a village near us. Thank you for clearing that up. Everyone's like, we thought Josh was this amazing guy. And now Emma's thinking, why did I marry this guy? No, no. He'd done a little bit of criminal damage. It's not like he, well, nobody was hurt in the offence. But anyway... Um, he comes home on the Monday morning into our house in Sale and throws himself down on the carpet and begins to weep in the hallway. Um, he'd completely changed from the angry young guy that had gone the week before. His whole demeanour had changed. He had this peace. He had this... Um, he was contrite. He was soft. He was so thankful that God had heard his prayer. And I, he threw himself, I said, Mum, please, will you forgive me? I said, of course I'll forgive you. You're my son. I'll always forgive you of anything. And I said, but tell me what happened to bring about this transformation because I've not seen him for the whole weekend. And he said, well, I'm in my police cell. They'd taken him to Longsight Police Station and he'd locked up in the cell there for the weekend. And, you know... It, puts the bits of frighteners on people, doesn't it? And the police, are, I think the police are quite clever. They're trying to see if that person's going to change their behaviour. It's quite helpful in a way. Um, and he's in there and he's on his knees. He gets on his knees and he says to the Lord, if you will forgive me, he said, I've messed my life up. If you will give me another chance, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my days and tell other young people about you. And he said there was a presence that came. The Holy Spirit was there immediately. The Father, the good, good Father was with him in that moment. And then he said to me, but mum, he said, I'm so grateful to you. Thank you so much for coming to sing outside the police, uh, where I was locked up in my police cell. Thank you for coming to sing. And I was... No. 
I wasn't there. I didn't even know where you'd been taken. I tried to find out. I was very tempted to phone Sir Peter Farhi and say, my son's been arrested. Can you help me out? And I thought, I really can't pull in that kind of favor. He said, yeah, thank you for coming to sing. You and another voice. It was the way God had communicated to him that he wasn't on his own. And I was like, no, Josh, you've got it wrong. And then all of a sudden, I realized what had happened. So for five miles from our house in Sale, Donnelly Road, to Longsight Police Station, the Holy Spirit had picked up our worship, our prayer of agreement, and had sung over him in our voices. And even when I say it now, I can hardly believe it happened, but it happened. And it made me understand so much the power of the prayer of agreement. When I felt so low that someone came and reminded me, we're in a battle here, but Jesus on the victory side. And he loves that person more than you do. And parents... And grandparents here, you cannot be with your kids 24-7, but Jesus is. You cannot be with them all the time, watching over them. There are times in their life where they might be tempted to do other things or really go very far away into the world. But the Holy Spirit is working through our prayers through our prayer of agreement, to pierce into whatever it is that is holding them back or the influences that have come on their life which are not of God. So I'm going to invite the band to come. But as we're singing and as we're ministering now, I know that there are people in this room. Could you just stand up a minute, Josh? Just stand up because I just want people to see. I just wanted people to see from the photo that we had on the screen to him here now, married to Emma with three beautiful children, Liberty Joy, Simeon, and Hallie Rose. Let me tell you, you do not call your children Liberty Joy, Simeon, and Hallelujah Rose if you're not a Christian. <laughs> right? I, I had a revelation about this when Libby came and stood with me on the front row. She's going to be nine this week. I would not have had that grandchild. I would not have had those grandchildren. If someone hadn't got a hold of him and pulled him in another direction to now be going around the world as an evangelist telling other people about Jesus. And guess what? The prayer director, youth director of 24-7 prayer. He actually went into the ministry of prayer. I just want, thanks John, I just wanted you to see the before and after. So anyone right now, and you've got a prodigal, it could be a partner, it could be a sister, a brother, but especially sons and daughters, could you just stand to your feet? Let's be bold in the house of God. Let's do that prayer of agreement thing. Because this is a battle that we can no way win just on our own. The powers of darkness have tried. And one of the things the Holy Spirit said to me at the beginning of the service, I was looking out at there's a football goal uh, thing over in the car park. And the Holy Spirit said to me, the devil is just about to score in his own goal. The devil is going to shoot and, and score an own goal today. That what the enemy has intended for harm, God is turning it around for the good. And I want you to begin to say the name of that person or persons. The name of that person or persons. And you're going to do what I did that day with my daughter Sarah. 
We're going in the enemy camp and we're praying the prayer of agreement where two agree. Where two agree. And we're saying, guess what, devil? You've just scored in your own goal here. You are not winning this particular battle. Because Jesus died on a cross to disarm the powers to disarm the powers and by his own blood made it possible for those people that you're standing for right now to know the Saviour, to know the Father, to know him as Lord. So we're coming, Jesus. And I, I just be, begin to pray, begin to pray the prayer of agreement. As you are naming that person, you are naming them out loud in the household of faith with others. And we are doing battle today. And the battle belongs to the Lord. And we just give you thanks and praise today, Jesus, for every person. And I know some of you have been battling for a long time. Don't grow weary. For in due season you will reap. And that sheet of paper, however thick it is, there is going to be a prayer that will pierce through it. There is a prayer that's going to pierce through it. There is a prayer. So we come, Jesus. Yes, Lord, we come today. Show us how prayer works. Teach us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Many people coming back to Christ in this next season. Many, many people coming to Christ. It's multitudes in the valley of decision are making a decision for Jesus today. As you have committed to go into that prayer of agreement process, something is going to change. Just keep doing it until something changes. We pray in Jesus' name.